I think, again, I'm going to focus on that constant optimism and having the ability just to see the glass half full. I think that's really important. If you're not having your coffee and starting work two hours early just because you want to and not, not because you have to and you're really keen to get in, I think it's going to be a very long road. If you've done your research and, and, and you know what you want to do and why you want to do it, you, you, have to be a, you have to take a bet on yourself. Hi, I am Tatiana Pandurovic and welcome to Moonshot a space where comfort zones don't exist. Having spent most of my life scared to take risks, the one thing I am seeking now is to be surrounded by more people who are courageous, bold, unafraid and relentless in their pursuit for success to help inspire me and hopefully you. In this podcast, we dive deep into the minds of individuals who see no limits, those who dream big and defy boundaries. Let's rise together. Today on Moonshot, we're diving into the world of Mladen Jovanovic, a trailblazer in the realm of social entrepreneurship and digital navigation. Mladen is a co-founder and chief commercial officer at Bindi Maps, Australia's largest accessible indoor navigation app, transforming how we navigate complex buildings and making spaces more inclusive for everyone. Ludden has achieved a number of global accolades, including first place at the Startup World Cup, recognition as a Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient in Asia Pacific, and recently having led Bindi Maps to victory as the global champion at the UN World Summit Awards 2023. Beyond Bindi Maps, Ludden is also the founder of Teaching Startups to Fish and empowers entrepreneurs through his course on Udemy called Teaching Startups to Fish. Tune in as we explore Mladen's journey in revolutionising indoor mapping and his insights into entrepreneurial success. Hi Mladen, thank you so much for joining Moonshot. You have taken many moonshots in your life. Tell me about one that stands out for you. Look, I think it would have been it would have been the first time I actually got into entrepreneurship and, and, and starting companies in general, I think. It was at a time where so I was I was in my second year of university and and I had something come through in my junk inbox which I never check for university emails but then I ended up getting this one for some reason I was cleaning it out and I, I, it caught my attention it it said uh, the Ibis World People Planet Profit Competition design a business plan and and you know bring bring your idea to life I remember seeing the word innovation in there I had no idea what innovation meant I was like it was completely foreign but I decided you know what why not let's give it a crack so I was. At the time, I was working security and construction, and um, this was a competition that was run by the university. I think it was over like six weeks on, on Saturdays. And you would go there, and they, they had this group of experts that had people in from innovation at PwC. They had the founder of Sydney Angels Investors. Like, they had some really high-profile people. And they donated their time, essentially, to help you put a structure around a business plan and, and, and bring it to life. And the winner of this pitch competition at the end of the six, six or eight weeks or whatever it was... They ended up winning, uh, it was a $25,000 prize pool. I think first place got 15, second place seven and third place, whatever the remaining was, three. I think that was the structure. But anyway, I went, I went through the competition and at that point I'd never won a competition before on, on anything. And I got through it, I ended up putting, I remember the first, the first one, the first session they had was around problem identification. 
And I walked in there with an idea ready to go. It was a social media app. I just walked in and I was like, yep, this is what I'm doing. And I explained the idea to all the people that were um, mentoring and they just completely shot down the entire idea. It was, it was a social media app, just like everyone else wanted to create a social media app. They didn't like it? No, they hated it. It was like, what problem are you solving? That was the question. I had no answer. I was the like, question or the lesson? Yeah, well, I was like, what? What problem does Facebook solve, right? At that time, I was like, that, that you don't need to solve a problem. You can just come up with a solution. Now I know that's completely wrong. Uh, but then they taught us how to identify problems, right? And then working construction, I was working on a site, ended up seeing a few problems and then built a business around that. And I ended up getting into the finals. And at that point, I remember my dad was like, be happy you made it into the finals. That's okay, just be happy. And I was like, nah, I go, if I win this, I'm selling everything and I'm starting the business. And coming from a background of people that have never started a business, right? My family, immigrants into the country, you know, everyone's working nine to five or after hours, my dad was working nighttime. So the, the philosophy was get a job, work hard, save your money, buy a house, have a family. And then when I said I wanted to start a business, my dad thought I was an idiot. I was crazy. There was no chance. Where did that courage come from? Even that feeling you had? I'm an eternal optimist. I think like I've, I've always, I've always aimed big with, with anything that I do. Well, I haven't really aimed big. I've just had crazy ideas that I just decided to follow, right? Like everyone's got those ideas, but it's just some people decide to, to go for it and some don't. And I always knew that I was just going to, I had to work for myself. Uh, there, there was, or, you know, I had to work with other co-founders uh, leading a company and, and, you know, bringing a vision to life just because I've, I've always had issues growing up listening to people tell me what to do. I always struggled with follow the rules and that's just how it is. Um, I've always been one of those people to question why is the rule like that. So I think that's that was just the moment that I was like, you know what, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. I had so much support, so much hype. The university was backing me. There was just so many things that were going my way at that point that I just could not forego that opportunity. So you're going to the finals. What's your feeling? Oh, man. Do you remember back in school when you were like, had to get up in front of the class and present and then everyone's just looking at you snickering and then you just can barely get a word out you're shaking and all that that's what I felt like um I just felt like uh, I was terrible at public speaking I couldn't speak in front of crowds I couldn't couldn't think of what to say um you know talking on my feet I would always I would always fumble I wouldn't be able to do it um so then which is amazing because you're such an incredible speaker you're incredibly articulate today you're an amazing seller. You teach others how to sell, but that didn't come naturally. No, no, I had a lot of help. And throughout that competition, so the, the people that won the year before, uh, one of them decided to take me under his wing and, and teach me everything from start to finish and um, German background as well. So when, when he came to the pitch, or we're, we're, even in our meeting structures, like every time we would catch up, we would have a defined agenda with minutes next to each agenda item. And as soon as we go a few seconds over, he would cut it and then it would be like, we're moving on to the next agenda item. So it was like very thorough, very, you know, strict. And he's the one German that, style of teaching. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he was one of those people that taught me how, he was the first person that taught me how to pitch. And for him, everything was structured. Every breath, every word, every single thing you do and say on stage has been rehearsed a thousand times. So if you wake me up at three in the morning, I can regurgitate everything. That's amazing. So you won this competition, which took you to the world champs for startup? Sort of. Uh, so yes, I did win the one at, at UTS um, and that's what launched the business. And then there was, there were two other competitions that I was eyeing my out and that was the Virginia Tech Knowledge Works. So that's in, in Virginia in, in the US. And the other one was the University Startup World Cup. I thought I had no hope of going to the University Startup World Cup. So I aimed Is for it a the, big deal? 
Oh, it's a massive deal. It's a massive deal. So you have, yeah, I think from memory, I think it was 70, 72 countries had representatives and, oh man, it was so intimidating when I was there. But yeah, I, n- I never thought I was going to go there. So I focused on Virginia Tech and, and just something happened that, and the university decided to sponsor me to go to the university startup World Cup. And the other thing was capital. You these, needed capital. Yeah, these competitions were paying. Um, I've, I'd already sold my cars, sold my motorbikes, sold everything I had. I had no money, right? So I needed, I needed money. And even the Startup World Cup was paying 25K USD, which was a massive amount of money for me. Like I had nothing. Um, so I was like, this, this is a quick and easy way to get some, get some revenue, uh, air quotes, uh, in, in through to the company. And how did you go at that competition? I ended up winning that too. <laughs> you won that competition yeah, as well? Yeah, so th- they had different categories. Uh, they had, you know, cybersecurity. They had, you know, startup of the year. They had so many different ones. Uh, and I ended up winning the overall ICT category. So there was, I think there was five, five winners for each category and then there was one overall winner. So I ended up winning the ICT category, but I didn't get the overall winner. That's incredible. And so what did that do for your business? Did you continue building the construction business? I did for a while. So as soon as I came back from Denmark, it was literally within a couple of days I had to be up in Brisbane for uh, another accelerator program. It was um, it was sort of like a, a semi-competition to get into the accelerator program. I ended up getting into that, which was a little bit more funding, and then they put a tech team behind you, help you build the solution. Uh, I made a lot of mistakes throughout that accelerator program um, and, and I definitely can impart a lot of wisdom on, on what not to do. What kind of mistakes? Well, all of this had happened within six months. Um, so from going through that first competition to the World Cup and, and everything had happened. I'd, a bit I'd, of a whirlwind experience. Yeah, it's been crazy. But even at that point, I still thought that I had no idea what I was doing. I was just sort of like, you know, faking it till I make it sort of thing. I was just trying to get through, which I think most first-time founders uh, are exactly the same. But then what happened when I got into this accelerator program, I all of a sudden had a whole team behind me. I had, you know, developers, I had marketing people, I had operations people, I had anyone, anyone and everyone to lean on. Suddenly you've got investment and resource. Exactly. But the issue that I faced there was I doubted myself so much and I, anything and everything that they suggested and said, I said, yes, because in my mind, these people know better, that's their job, right? And anything they suggested, I said, yes. And I went in there with software solution for the construction industry for builders and contractors to hire subcontractors based on proximity. I walked out with a volunteer platform for teachers or something <laughs> along. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? Uh, it was it just by not well it was it just by saying yes to every suggestion pretty much that came your way. Pretty much, yeah. And people start to 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 mold your business into what like, they what want they think, and what yeah. they see. And, the, and and I think that's everyone's said this advice thousands and thousands of times. If you're going to get into a startup, make sure you're passionate. Make sure you're passionate about the problem that you're solving. And after that experience, I remember Demo Day came up for the Accelerator program and I stood up and I, I had a slide. Um, it was a white slide and there was just a squiggly line. So it was like this was our starting point and then it went across and there was just like a huge squiggly line with an arrow going back to our starting point. Um, and the whole idea behind that slide was I was explaining that we've tried many different things, but now we're back at the starting point of, of going back into the construction scene because I wasn't happy with where the app was and leaving this accelerator program, all of my sudden, all of a sudden the team's gone and I'm the one running it. So now I'm running a volunteer platform for teachers by myself. That you weren't even connected with to begin with. It's not the idea that you came with. Exactly. But that was probably, and I sunk maybe 40 grand into that startup at the time. 
which was pretty much everything that I had. But it was probably the best 40 grand I've ever spent because I'd learned so many things and made so many mistakes. And that's actually what introduced me to my current co-founder and what got me into Bindi Maps, um, going through that experience. Because otherwise, she would have never heard of me. We would have never spoken. We actually met on a judging panel for startups um, because we were judging their pitch, uh, pitch competitions. So it was just a, a phenomenal experience. And I will definitely not do it again. <laughs> <laughs> not one that you want to repeat. You then joined Bindi Maps. How did that happen? So as I just, uh, as I mentioned, I met Anna on a judging panel for startups and we just, she was like, hey, I, I've heard about you from, from that. Uh, it was super close to that Startup World Cup. Uh, she was actually my professor. So she was like, I heard about you through, you know, that competition. And then um, she said she was doing her own startup and it was at the idea stage at the moment. And then I oh, asked so her, she just had an idea when you had met her. Yeah, so she just had the idea for Bindi Maps, which is called Banjo Maps at the time. Um, so she had the idea, um, she had a concept, and she sort of had an idea for what a solution would look like. Uh, but there was no product, uh, and she was actually just going through an accelerator program. She was just just got in. So then I learned a little bit about um, the problem that she was trying to solve, and it was a it was a very different problem to what I've heard of, especially speaking to so many people in the startup space that actually made an impact. Um, so Anna was diagnosed with a rare eye disorder where doctors pretty much told her, you're going to go blind. It's a matter of time. You need to start preparing. And then Anna was like, you know, how am I, how am I going to you know, go to the shops? How am I going to go to the office? She was an accountant, right? So you know, how am I going to do all these things? How am I going to live my everyday life? Exactly. And going blind later on in life is much more difficult than being born blind because if you're born blind or if you go blind at an early age, you get to learn how to use the tools to help you navigate the world, like a cane or a guide dog or a mini guide or whatever other assistance you have. Later on in life is much more difficult getting used to a cane and, and everything else. So Anna was like, there must be a better way. There must be a you know better solution. And it, it really caught my attention because at that point I'd never worked with anyone, worked on you or, or had friends who, who, had, who had any, any forms of disability that I could see, right, that I, that I knew of. And at that point, there was uh, a lady from Queensland that just published a two-page spread in the AFR about how there was a particular university not helping her um, get a degree because she was... Um, that was coincidentally around the same time that you saw this article? Exactly, yeah. So I saw the article after Anna told me about the problem. And I just reached out to her on LinkedIn. I connected with her on LinkedIn. I reached out. I go, do you mind if I just chat to you for 30 minutes and, and hear more about your issues? And um, she said, fine. So we jumped on a call and asked her all these questions about how... how how her life is and how, how university is. And then at the end, I asked her the question of, you know, if you had a magic wand and you can, you can change anything in the world, what would it be? And she said, people, uh, if I could change people, because she found the biggest obstacle was, was people not knowing how to deal with the situation or, or how to interact with her or, you know, she, uh, there was a lot of issues that came from people directly. In terms of how other people interacted with her, with the disability that she had? Yeah, it's just people, you know, much like me at that point, I had no idea how to interact with someone with, with a particular disability. And, but th there were some people that, you know, took it, took it to another level. Like there was a lot of research done at shopping centres and some, some comments for, from people in the blind community were, I can feel the, let's say you walk into a retailer, they say I can feel the assistants or the staff in the shop hiding because they don't want to approach and help me because they don't know how to deal with someone with a cane or a guide oh, wow. dog. You know, I have to admit, I, was, I wasn't to that extent, but I was also awkward in those situations. And it, and it wasn't because I'm a bad person. It's just I didn't know how to, in, how, how to deal with the situation. 
so so that I completely understood what she meant by people. But obviously, I can't change everyone in the world. So I said, you know, if you could if you could wave it again and change something else, what would it be? And she said, uh, if I could have uh, tactiles everywhere in the world to help me navigate. So do, what do you are know tactiles? What, yeah, I was about to say. Do you know what that means? Um, tactiles a little. Next time you go to cross a traffic light, look on the ground. Um, so they're called TGSI, tactile ground surface indicators, and they're those little bumps on the road. Um, so she said if she could have those everywhere around the world to help her feel her way around. And then I explained the idea that Anna had at the time for um, uh, navigation and wayfinding for people who are blind. And she said if something like that existed, it would completely change my life. And then it was at that point I was like, all right, <laughs> time to close one startup, jump into the next one. And, and Anna was happy, happy to welcome me in um, to head up the commercial side. As a co-founder of Bindi Maps, you've been incredibly successful with what has turned into an absolutely phenomenal Australian success story. Uh, I saw recently that you won the World Summit Awards <laughs> and Bindi Maps was the champion of those two. You've got a lot of insights to share with others. If someone is thinking about starting a business, what do you think it takes to be successful? One. Uh, is the ability to take rejection because you're going to get that a lot in the early stages uh, in everything that you do. You're going to speak to people who don't don't believe in in, in the vision. You're going to speak to hundreds hundreds of investors if you go down the capital raising path, um, who will tell you no. You know who who will not be able to see the the see the market for it. They won't be able to see how your solution's different. There are so many things. So you need that resilience and that grit and that persistence. Um, to take rejection, even in sales, you're going to get walked all over, especially when you're starting and you're not clear and, you know, you hesitate and you don't know how to do it. Um, customers are going to, yeah, they're going to eat you alive um, in the early stages. But you get through it, you learn. I think that's that's probably a really important thing. I think you also uh, need to be willing to take risks. And the one that I mentioned earlier and the one that I really learned was be able to bet on yourself uh, and I still struggle with that now. Um, if I have an idea or if I want to do something and someone tells me otherwise, I, I think I'd simmer on it for a little bit too long. I, I really, really take that on board. But I think if you've done your research and, and, and you know what you want to do and why you want to do it, you, you, have, to be a, you, you have to take a bet on yourself. Um, you have do to... you still have fears or insecurities? Oh, yeah. Of course I do. Of course I do. I've still got, I'm, I'm still suffering with imposter syndrome all the time. How do you I've... navigate through that? Go for a run. <laughs> Go for a run, clear your head a bit because I, I think it can fester. For me personally anyway, I know that uh, when I started coaching and speaking to people, the biggest, the biggest thought was, you know, why would these people listen to me? Why would they be listening to me? Yeah, and then I went to a, a, an event. I'm not going to say whose it was. He's, he's a great person. But I went to a, an event and he was up on stage and, and he was talking and he was uh, sharing wisdom. But to me at the time, it all seemed like general knowledge. It all seemed like very bare basic business and sales acumen that you should know. And I looked around me and there was probably about, I think there was about 500 people there. Everyone's frantically taking notes on their notepad as he was talking. And at that point, I just thought, why? How? Like, what, what, what is he sharing? I didn't take a single note. <laughs> What is he sharing? And what is he sharing that, that you don't know? That is logical. Yeah. It was just like very basic information. I looked around and I thought, wow, people don't really don't know this stuff, which to me seemed like common sense. But even after that, I was like, and this guy's worth like three, four, five hundred million. Um, so he's very, very successful and not, not taking any credit away. He's definitely super knowledgeable. But I think in that one session, it was just so basic. 
And it was so mind-boggling to see so many what looked like successful business owners taking so many um, notes. Maybe I was missing something. I don't know. But at that point, I, I just sort of reflected back a little bit. I was like, well, if people are getting this much value from it, it must be, must be needed, right? So then I started you know, getting more involved with mentoring and, and, and mentoring startups out of Melbourne University and things like that. So you've not only built your own business really successfully as co-founder of Bidding Maps, you help mentor other startups. I think I asked you earlier, what does it take to build a successful business? And you just got me thinking around some key elements of a good business. And so you had a really great product. You've got product, you've got marketing strategy, you've got many elements of sales and how you actually find customers. When you're building and growing and starting out, how do you shift your focus? Because you've only got a limited time of, you've got a limited limited amount of time, energy and resources. What's most important? Money at, at an early stage, you need revenue. And I think we, we, we also made a lot of mistakes in the early days. Well, I did personally, um, focusing on the wrong things. So money from competitions is not revenue. That money is from competition. competitions. Yeah. Money from competitions and grants and any sort of funding given to you by the government, that is not revenue. You need customers. You need customers. You need to be able to grow a, a company sustainably. You need to figure out what works, what doesn't, so you can scale it. And by focusing on competitions and grants, that's be real with yourself. That's not revenue. Um, Are you saying it's not the best investment of time? Depends on what stage you're in, but it, I, I wouldn't say it's not, the, no, it's not the best investment of time. It could be a good investment if you need a quick plug stop or anything like that, but I would be focusing on getting out and speaking to customers. What's next for Bindi Maps? Well, are you just starting out? Yeah, I think we are. We're still like we're toddlers. We're just we're just learning to walk. We've got we've got a few things on the horizon. We just released a couple of new products. We also uh, the product team, who's led by Tony, one of our other co-founders, the product team's just we received a big grant from New South Wales government to develop the next phase of our product. So at the moment, we use a network of little uh, Bluetooth beacons that are like imagine your AirPods box. Imagine your AirPods case came with a little piece of double-sided sticky tape and you stick that on the ceiling. And that's a little transmitter that we use. Now, having a hardware component is very difficult for, oh, it's not very, it makes it more complex to install the system somewhere because you have to go in and install something. But now with this uh, funding that we just got from the government um, for this hyper-local project, and the reason why it was funding and, and a challenge is because it doesn't exist anywhere in the world. So our team's just developed this technology uh, that's world leading. It, it genuinely is. It doesn't exist anywhere else where you'll be able to map a space just by using your phone's camera and you'll be able to get highly accurate positioning down to less than 30 centimeters. So we can tell you where you are and where you're facing within a space to 30 centimeters of accuracy with no hardware. That sounds amazing. Every time I walk into a massive Westfield and I'm trying to use that navigation panel they have and see a shop and it's telling me which escalator to take and where to go, it's still very confusing. I'm often walking the wrong direction. My <laughs> steps goes way through the roof before I even get to the store that I'm looking for. That could be a good thing though. Yeah, well, it could be a good <laughs> thing as well. Um, that's amazing. With you individually, mm -hmm. you earlier said, so you started out very nervous, not a natural communicator or a presenter to where you've got to now. What traits do you think have made you successful? 
I think, uh, again, I'm going to focus on that constant optimism and, and having the ability just to see the glass half full. I think that's really important. And that's me with everything. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but even with a, when a terrible situation comes up, I try and make, you know, shed light by making a joke, which people have, have gotten upset with many times. But I think that has really helped in having the energy to get up and be excited for what you do. Because if you're not excited and if you're not happy and you're not, you know, if you're not having your coffee and starting work two hours early just because you want to and not not because you have to and you're, and you're really keen to get in, I, I think it's going to be a very long road. I think it's going to be very hard. The moment you start to hate what you do, things change. Your output changes. The way you think about problems changes. The way you, the way you deal with customers changes. So many things change and you don't want to fall into that trap. So I think surround yourself with positive people and let it rub off on you. I think that's really, really important. Um, be positive, be optimistic, um, be happy. I think that's one thing. And always approach situations. This is one thing that I, um, I'm, I have to remind myself constantly to do. Approach situations in the mind of a beginner. Um, so always go into a conversation knowing what you know, but also with an open mind assuming that you don't know. Um, because then that will allow for information to come in. It won't just have, you won't block it out with all the information you have and I don't need anything else. I think going into those, uh, going into any conversation or any situation with an open mind in the mind of a beginner is a much higher likelihood that you'll learn something um, instead of thinking, oh, I already know that, I'm not going to listen. You create a space for learning for exactly. yourself. Exactly, you said it in a much better way. Yes, that what you said. Yeah, I think that's that's another really important thing. Habits are also really important. I read a book recently by James Clear called Atomic Habits and he talks about how those little rituals or little habits that we repeatedly do over a period of time compound and really drive the things we achieve over a longer term. What does a day in the life of mother look like? I'm actually stoked you said that. I've got this weird ritual. So I... I could never retain information, especially at uni. I could never retain anything. So when I started reading books, I knew I had to retain this information. So the way that I did that was I would set aside an hour before work every morning. So I would have my coffee and I would read a book. But what I would do is I would read a book for 30 minutes. And then I would usually I'd be I'd be working on two books at the same time. So you'd read for 30 minutes and then you put that down and then you summarize the book that you read, you finished reading last. So as I'm reading, I'm highlighting. So I'll take a green highlight, I'll read and I'll highlight the key, key things in that book. And then I'll put that down. And once I finish that book, I'll start the new one. So I have 30 minutes of reading and then 30 minutes of summarizing the old book that I had just finished by going through and summarizing the highlights. And then I've built this Dropbox folder of summaries where you can literally just control F email template, control F, you know, HR, control F something. And then it will just spit out all the highlights from all these key, all these key insights that I've had from these books. And then it makes it a really quick process to actually get what you need. And retain the information. Yeah, because you've essentially read the book twice. All that the important points. That is so cool. What a great productivity hack. And you still do that every day? As much as I can. I have slacked off a little bit, I will be honest. The last book that I read was um, John McMahon's uh, Qualified Sales Leader. Anyone who's in sales, 100% read that book. It is one of the greatest sales books ever. He talks about, he pretty much summarizes his consulting journey with this one company in this book. And it is the most has the most phenomenal insights. So that's the last one I read. So I haven't done it. I think it's been a couple of weeks now. So I am I am going to get into it now. That's one of your habits. What yeah. else do you do? Uh, so that's one thing. 
I mean, the day in the life, first thing I do is open my CRM as soon as I wake up. Uh, not as soon as I wake up. As soon as I finish reading, I'll, open, I'll jump on the computer. Um, I'll open my CRM. And then I have that, you know, that, that quadrant where it goes important, urgent, important, not urgent, not important, urgent, but not important, not urgent. So you've got the four boxes. <laughs> have you heard of that before? I have. Which box do you start with? <laughs> because there's often a box that people spend their mo- most of their time in but they don't spend it in the box where they really need to. So you need to be spending your time in the important but not urgent box. That is where your time should be spent. And it's the urgent one, right, that most people are taking out fires and they spend most of their time in that one. You don't want to be in that one. But I live out of that one in the last month of the year, I think. Yeah. You've lived in the urgent box? Yeah, How are you so going like to get back to the other box? N- November, December is where I live. Or November and first half of December, I always live in the urgent box because everything's urgent at the end of the year. <laughs> So once, well, yeah, once I do that, I've got, I've got my little week away planned in a couple of weeks. So that's when I'm going to replan, yeah, replan, reset, and then I'll be working back out of the important box. So yeah, as, as I said, I'll open the CRM, um, anything that needs to be done, get that done early. Usually by the sales stand up that runs from 8.45 to 9, get that done. And then I start focusing on the important projects. And the way that I've, my projects are outlined, we usually have a quarterly business review every quarter. And it's my job to evaluate how the company's performed over the last quarter and present that back to everyone and then off the back of that prioritize key projects over the next quarter and that's how you focus your time exactly and then that's that's where my time's focused over those next three months so then I just look at you know what needs to be done work through Trello cards things like that um attend customer meetings where the sales team needs me that's another thing they usually just pull me in whenever they need me so uh, do that and then you know you've got your team meetings on Fridays and things like that I don't think I do anything out of the ordinary I think I think it's very bare basic Workday. I find it really interesting because people all have tend to have a different approach, and different approaches work, and they lead to the same results. But I find it curious just to understand what that looks like because over time, those little things you do become your life, and they actually lead to the successes that you end up creating. What is the biggest challenge you've had to overcome in your life, personal and professional? That's a tough one. So up until. 2019 I lived with my dad and I hadn't been away from my dad for more than like a couple of week holidays and then just during COVID he ended up moving back to Serbia and then it was three years so far of I've seen him once for like a two-week period and the reason and that's that's probably the hardest thing for me and the reason why it's the hardest thing for me is because he is the person that I got my positivity from so he's like, he's one of those people that's just had the short straw his whole life, <laughs> bless his soul. But every time he's copped it, he's been able to look on the bright side. And then th- those constant interactions and that constant positivity was, was, was what kept me, me, right? And then... And the energy that you've got, and I know this is an audio podcast, but you're such a happy person. You've got such a warm ambience to you. Yeah. Well, and that's... that just comes through in the way that you present yourself well that's that's all from that's all from him right and that's that was probably the most difficult thing is retaining that optimism and happiness uh i still speak to him pretty much every day if not if not every day but i think that would have been the most difficult change that that probably would have been yeah one of the one of the toughest things to navigate through and professionally i think i haven't overcome like i'm still sort of going through this uh, I don't know if I'm the best manager. Like the the managing people is a massive skill, and what a lot of people do is they look at a career progression, 
and you know let's let's stick with sales you start off as an account development rep going to an account executive senior account executive and then let's say you go into a, a, a sales manager i don't think that that structure works very well for everyone because not many people are I don't think anyone's born being a great manager. I think that there's skills that you that you learn and not every salesperson is going to be a good sales manager. It's a completely different skill set. And once you get to that managerial stage, everyone is different and they could be vastly different. And having the skills to be able to manage people um, and to be able to to empathize and interact and 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 really motivate exactly and motivate that's a that's a whole nother can of worms motivating salespeople and, and people in general it's a huge skill set that i'm still learning have you ever read the book radical candle by kim scott i have yeah i have that changed uh a little bit that, that changed a little bit of how i do things i'm not as radical <laughs> i don't think what are the things you've learned most from becoming a people manager not everyone is like you uh, in the early days, it was very easy for me to be like, well, I can do that. Why can't you do that? Why? Look, I, I've just done it last year. You need to do this next year because I did it. It doesn't work that way. Um, people are not like you. They, and you need to, you need to learn, uh, as you said, what motivates them, how they work, and you need to be able to put a bit of a structure around them as a person. I think that was probably one of the more difficult things for me to overcome because I couldn't understand, I couldn't grasp, how aren't you like me? And that was very difficult. And skills is one thing, because then you've got attitude as well through tough times and good times, and you're a natural optimist, and you talk about the impact that your dad had on you, and he taught you in a lot of ways, just by the way that he showed up, but it's not an easy thing to do when you're leading a team. No, it's not. It's not. It's, it's, it's very difficult. Yeah, the, the, there are so many things I don't know. Uh, what would you tell a first-time manager? I really wished mm. when I became a first-time leader that I had actually reached out to more mentors. And what I've been my mentors is exceptional leaders, exceptional people leaders, not that just drive great results, but you know an exceptional leader because their team loves to work for them. Mm -hmm. So not only do they perform well, they create a great environment. And when you step into that type of role for the first time, there's a lot of navigation that you have to do also with yourself and how you show up and how do you influence others and how do others respond to that. What advice would you give to a first-time manager? Reach out to some mentors. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, and I think that you made a really good point and I've been super lucky because a lot of our investors are extremely successful people that have led huge software development, software companies um, into massive success and IPOs and they've I've been working very closely with them and they've coached me through a lot of that. Uh, but I think on a, on a serious note, uh, definitely seek help because I think a lot of people fall into this weird ego-driven managerial position where they think I'm the manager, I need to know everything. Don't think like that. That's so bad. Approach every situation with the mind of a beginner. We're all students of life. Exactly. I think don't be scared to say I don't know if you don't know. Uh, ask for help and, and and lean on other people that have done it before uh, because it is a science as much as it is an art managing people there there is so much and I'm just starting to scratch the surface and, and and learn learn a little bit about it but yeah read reach out to people that know 
the situation you're in and that, that are able to help guide you. And they will help. Like I find that anyone, most people that I've reached out to saying, hey, can I pick your brain for 30 minutes? It's an issue that I'm having. I, I'm, I rarely get turned down. And even when I started, when I, was, when I didn't even have a LinkedIn profile, when I started uh, my first software company, people are willing to lend a hand. I found that as well. And you often get surprised but by how willing people are to actually reach out and help out. And not many people reach out because they're scared that they'll say no. Exactly. It's like, why would they speak to me? So Ask a question. Ask, you never know. Final question. What piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self knowing everything you know now and the experiences that you've lived through? I always say this one and I've had various uh, responses to this. I've had people laugh and be like, what do you mean? But I think that the main piece of advice I would go back and give to myself at 20 is everything will be okay. Because there were so many moments, you know, going through so many difficult things. And it wasn't just me. I know so many people are facing it as well. Going through tough times, issues with family, issues with work, issues with whatever else you're having issues with. It's very easy to fall into that dark cloud and, and start being very negative and start thinking the world's ending and don't let, you know, if, 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 you, if you are having any issues with mental health or anything like that, speak to someone. I'm a huge advocate for that. I've been in therapy for like four years now. I think my therapist hates me. It's timely because <laughs> yeah. it is mental health month for men as well. Yeah, so I, 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 I'm a massive advocate and it doesn't make you weak. It does not make you weak. 100% go speak to someone. And I think that that would probably be the one key piece of advice because I know how difficult it's been. And I know the impact that it's had, uh, not just on me, but people around me as well. So uh, just having that, just know that everything's going to be okay. Even if the startup crumbles, even if, you know, something else happens six months down the line, everything's going to be okay. You will be fine. You'll be fine. I think that's, that's the key message that I, I would just get across. Everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. Mm. Ladan, thank you so much. You're an incredible social entrepreneur. What you and your co-founders have done and are continuing to do with Bindi Maps is absolutely amazing. I can't wait to see where Bindi Maps continues to evolve. One year ago, not one year ago, when you started out, you started out building a technology for people with vision impairment. Today, the use cases are even broader. I don't think there's a part of the world you won't be able to impact. Good luck with everything you're doing with Bindi Maps and I can't wait to follow your journey. Thank you so much and I can't wait to come back and tell you about all the awesome things that have happened. Amazing. Let's do it. <laughs> Thanks, London. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Moonshot. If you felt inspired today and are curious about taking your own personal growth to the next level, check out my performance coaching website at leadwithtatiana.com. For more insights, stories and behind the scenes content, follow me on Instagram at tatiana.moonshot. And if you have guest suggestions or topics you'd like explored, send me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. See you soon for another inspiring conversation that might just be the catalyst to the growth you've been seeking.